Hey everyone, Dr. Bernard here. Wanted to put a content warning at the beginning here. There's a reason why I probably can't make these videos. Although, if I do at some point in the future, they would appear in a form that would be a little bit different than how I remember them. And it's really because these videos describe things that aren't good. They're going to discuss things like human trafficking, self-harm, abuse. So I totally understand if you don't want to hear some of these things. And hence, that's the reason why I probably couldn't make these videos in the first place. So that's the content warning. It's all throughout this entire episode. So if you want to skip this one, I totally understand. I'm going to roll the sponsor now for this episode so that the rest is uninterrupted. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. All right, so it's March 2021, and I've been on YouTube for five and a half years now. It's been a wild ride. This is still mainly a creative outlet for me. I haven't taken too many direct sponsors in my Chubby Emu videos, and podcast episodes will have one, basically the same sponsor every time. On the podcast, I have the monthly channel support feature enabled on Anchor, so it's kind of like a Patreon type of thing. So I appreciate every single person who has pledged their support through that link in the show notes, even during times when I haven't been so active publishing specifically podcast episodes. So thank you everyone who has been supporting. Coming from, at first, a big city hospital in an area where the highest concentration of medical facilities is, you see a lot of different things. And you see more when you're in a state that also has a high population density, which happened later. What's interesting to me is that I'm somewhat a product of the time that I was at the first hospital because things that did and didn't happen there give away around the time that I was there. So back in 2011, fentanyl, it existed, but it wasn't the problem that it is today in the United States. In case you don't know, fentanyl's a synthetic opioid. It's extremely potent, meaning that very low doses are therapeutic on the order of micrograms, which is one one-thousandth of a milligram. When you get to the microgram level, the therapeutic index usually is very narrow, meaning that the difference between using it for intended purposes and having it poison you is very small. I remember there was one case in 2011 when someone came into the emergency room because he was found unconscious in his car with a fentanyl lollipop in his mouth. Actually, he was already dead when he came in. The lollipop is a manufactured pharmaceutical preparation. And when I say it's manufactured as pharmaceutical grade, I mean that it has FDA approval for use in that particular dosage form. Today, people might be familiar with things like fentanyl-laced marijuana joints, where an unsuspecting user who's looking to take a hit accidentally dies from taking in fentanyl that was mixed in with the weed in that joint. The fentanyl thing really took off around 2016, 2017, and it happened around the same time that loperamide, or Imodium, the anti-diarrheal medicine, was starting to become abused for opioid withdrawals, enough for that the FDA to come out with a warning, and that happened in 2016. For the most part, I haven't heard too many opioid users say that they like fentanyl. It's made in a lab, it's cheaper than heroin, and it appears it's used to cut product that's as an add-in. The high is quick, and it wears off just as quickly. That's why in the hospital, when it's given as medicine, it usually comes in a transdermal patch. That's something that you stick to your skin, and it has this matrix that allows for controlled drug release. 
And so this brings me to 2011 Chicago, at a time when fentanyl on the street wasn't the issue, it was something else. You see, there was a woman who came in with her boyfriend. They had flown in to O'Hare Airport in Chicago from another country, and they were driving west on I-290, the highway and the direction that they're traveling might give you some clues as to what could be happening. While in their rental car, they had gotten into a car accident. She bumped her head on the steering wheel and came in with a possible head injury. It wasn't immediately apparent that something was wrong with her and her boyfriend, and in the bed next to her, the patient's heart stopped beating. This code caused a lot of the staff to converge onto his bed to try and resuscitate him. Okay, great. He was brought back. Everything seemed to be okay. Except hospital security told staff, hey, those two who came in for the head injury, well, they tried to leave the hospital, and they had some medical supplies in their hand. Around this time, something was definitely wrong with her. She was agitated, she was screaming, she was febrile to the point where nursing staff had to cool her down using fans and spray bottles of water on her. Her boyfriend didn't speak English, and when the translator came in, he became super tight-lipped. So obviously something was wrong, and when we looked further, half of the woman's face started drooping. She was having a stroke. Was this the head injury that we were looking for? Well, we weren't really sure at the time, but what we knew was that she was in atrial fibrillation. For the most part, there were eyes on her since she was admitted, so it's not like she could have taken drugs or anything while she was there. And then she started complaining of a pain in her right side. She vomited, all of this pointing to what looks like a cocaine overdose. Cocaine causes catecholamine reuptake problems, as well as sodium channel blockade and excitatory amino acid stimulation, resulting in increased myocardial oxygen demand and decreased myocardial perfusion. Alternations in electrical conduction can cause atrial fibrillation. Blood clots form from pooling of blood in the right atrium, since it's not actually producing a contraction, it's actually just shaking in place, as those clots then get lodged into the brain. More uncommonly, these clots can also get lodged into the kidneys, with a predilection to the right as opposed to the left, because the artery going into the right kidney is longer than the one going into the left, meaning that there's more resistance to flow that happens in the right compared to the left. And it's not just clots flowing in there that could be the mechanism for the infarct due to the use of cocaine, but it's not likely for anyone to have seen her take a massive dose while in the emergency room. So what could be happening? Abdominal radiographs were taken of her and everything looked fine. This is where the content warning comes in, so get ready. But when the imaging was moved down, there were several packets of cocaine that were found in her vagina, and they were already leaking cocaine in. And because the vaginal mucosa is a route for cocaine to almost directly enter the bloodstream, that's the source of her overdose, meaning that she was a body packer, or more colloquially, a mule. And no one knows if that was actually her boyfriend or what was really happening and why they wanted to escape the hospital. So this is someone visiting from somewhere else trying to smuggle drugs into the country. Who knows what would have happened to her if they had actually escaped the hospital. And this was happening a lot in Chicago back then. And going west on I-290 meant that they were probably going to one of the places where distribution for the supply at the time would happen. I mean, a lot of people go west on I-290 who live in Chicago, but there was definitely some kind of distribution system, supply chain, that was happening there in the Midwest from people flying in through O'Hare back then. Now, there's a lot more details to the story, but I think cocaine in the vagina alone would probably cause some troubles, if not 
with the platform where I post that video, then people get angry at hearing about that kind of situation. Never mind that there were signs of physical abuse on the woman. Never mind that law enforcement and federal agents were there afterwards. That was and still might be a big problem for Chicago at the time, because whereas drugs can come in through New York and Boston for the Northeast and possibly through Miami in the South, Chicago's supply is a little bit different because of how far it is from the coast. Not like you can have pallets full of drugs shipped out on trains. Maybe you can, but the body packing happened often, and it's a huge risk for these people because if any of these packs pop, whether it's in the stomach, intestines, vagina, or anus, it can be instant death. There are people who would swallow huge amounts that were packed super tight, and when they got to their destination, they would just take laxatives to poop it out so that they could retrieve it afterwards. If I ever do end up making this case in video, there was a surprise at the end of the case, and that surprise was the reason why I particularly remembered this one. You'll see it when you see it, if it ever happens. So depending on the roles that people work in, they see a lot of behind-the-scenes situations that don't really often get talked about, especially online. People who have actually worked know that there's plenty of things that you can't easily find on the internet. I mean, the internet has created the illusion that all information is transparent, that we can easily find whatever we want on something like Wikipedia, but we know that's not reality. Really important details of things are almost never found online. Stuff like individual people's salaries, details of business dealings, local customs and rituals, operating procedures, and how they differ from one place to another, you're not going to find that kind of stuff. When I lived in Chicago, there was a homeless veteran. He was a quad amputee who sat on the Wabash Bridge in a wheelchair. Every morning, he would ask for money. I only saw a couple times the person who would wheel him there because he didn't have arms and legs, so how would he get there? You're not going to find info about that guy online at all. And there was a chubby emu video about a guy who drank 50 beers every day. He was a regular on Harrison and Wood Street in the medical district back in 2013. Again, something that you're not going to easily find online. And his treatment, the nurses there knew him because he would come in every week. He would be sick because of all the beer that he was drinking. The other thing that you're also not going to find online is someone's family arrangements, kind of like how there was one time a family who came into the emergency room for what appeared to be a poisoning of some sort. Here's a second content warning. Before I say anything, here it is. Grandma was with daughter who was with granddaughter. Seemed to be okay, right? Well, a few things seemed a little off because grandma was not even 40 years old yet. Daughter was around 20, and it wasn't the age that was what was off with these people, but the guy who was the dad also turned out to be Grandpa. And that's the only thing I remember from that case, and that detail alone sticks in my mind because I hope to never see something like that ever again. The third case that I probably wouldn't be able to make a video about really hammers home one of those things that I've thought of as a possible problem with chubby emu videos. In a lot of the cases, there just isn't a happy resolution of events, and I mean, that's just the hard reality sometimes. But it's not just that. It's more so that sometimes the story itself can make people angry. Like the one about the grandma who ate cookie dough, and then there were Western institutions that were knowingly sending off contaminated plasma to other countries. Those kinds of things will make people angry. And usually people on YouTube, they might not want to get that feeling when watching a video. Who wants to knowingly, voluntarily click on a video just to be pissed off afterwards, right? Well, anyways, there was a girl who came in with her mom, and there were definitely multiple problems that were happening. 
Seems like there was malnourishment and malnutrition, potential eating disorder with neurologic complications. And the problem was that some of the things seemed borderline, and so she was admitted to the Peds neurology unit. She was only 17 years old. Her mom insisted that she stay with her, and at that time, from what I remember, the team over there discovered that this girl was actually on a very strict vegan dietary requirement. But it wasn't just that. A few days in, one of the medical students started to notice that the girl wasn't eating, and it wasn't because of that strict vegan diet, but it was because the mom was throwing away her food. And when asked about it, the girl started shouting out that her mom had been starving her. Child Protective Services had to come in and take the mom away, but then it turned out the damage had already been done, and the girl had some kind of eating disorder that made it so that she just simply refused to eat anyways. And then she tried harming herself in the hospital, to the point of not being alive anymore, and she almost succeeded. Now, I'm not going to go into the details of that, but she ended up in the ICU because of that. And with what had happened, she suffered permanent brain damage and was moved into hospice. And so the only angle for me to really cover that case is to talk about the malnutrition and specifically a vitamin B12 deficiency for this patient on an overly strict vegan diet. I think most people who are vegans know that they do need some supplementation. The girl had a degree of cognitive impairment that became delirium with that deficiency, which is what prompted her admission into the hospital. But then the entire case turned into something of child abuse that ended in tragedy. You know, a video like that opens cans of worms. Vegans, probably from Reddit or wherever online, aren't going to watch more than like 30 seconds of that video, and they're going to come out and say that I'm ragging on their diet or their political or their moral statement, when in reality, I don't actually care what diet anyone eats. This was an unfortunate case of veganism being used as a cudgel and twisted in a way to batter a child into some kind of submission by the mother. At least that's what it appears that it could have been. I don't think I'd get in trouble with a platform for making that kind of video. I'd most likely get in trouble with people for that, not just randos coming from Reddit, but like actual people who enjoy watching my videos. Because honestly, I don't know if you could say that you would enjoy that kind of video. I don't really know. But if I ever do make that video, you heard about it here first. And this brings me to the last video that I want to cover here. I can sum this one up pretty quickly. College guy comes in with a fever and a headache, sore all over his body. It turns for the worse, and he starts to go into shock, and then he becomes unresponsive. So typically in colleges in the United States, vaccine records are generally needed at admission, especially if you're living in the dorms, and he seemed to have gotten all of his vaccines. But then red and purple lesions started forming all over his arms and legs. They started to coalesce very quickly as he started bleeding out of every single orifice in his body. Well, it turned out his vaccination records were faked, and he had meningococcemia. That is, meningococcal bacteria had seeped into his blood. His limbs had to be amputated because of the tissue necrosis that happened due to the infection. There's a couple reasons why I haven't made this video yet. First is because I don't know if I can get imagery of a quad amputee. And second, it's a particularly brutal case. And not just the quad amputee imagery would be in there, but it would most likely have some pretty graphic images. So... Those are some of the videos that I've been sitting on for probably a couple years now. As far back as December 2017 was when I started working on the cocaine and vagina story. But then I had actually completely halted production of it because back in February 2018, when I published a video about a dad who didn't brush his teeth, got flagged as hateful content, which was then later reversed, I subsequently stopped 
production of that video, and I have not continued on it since. Anyways, that's it for the bonus episode of Heme Review. I might try some different kinds of shorter videos on Heme Review's YouTube channel in the coming weeks to months, so check out the link in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. Take care of yourself, and be well.